0: If you have your Bibles you can go ahead grab them you can turn to James 5 if you're new and uh, you have a device uh, iPad iPhone iPod I don't know all the eyes we have I watch we can go to the ESV version and we experience so many highs and lows uh, in our in our lives in our existence I was thinking about this week because we're We're going to be talking about what it means to remain steadfast and James is going to encourage us about what it looks like and who we need to be looking to in order to receive that encouragement. I was thinking about in our lives like just the the amount of uh, disruptions that we face in our lives that bring us into these places of of emotional, uh, physical, spiritual, relational highs. And then all these other things that just drag us down and we experience these, just these lows uh, in our life. And they're unavoidable for us. Um, we're not just incredibly steady people. We're not steady creatures by default, right? Like we don't like typically I don't wake up in the morning and just feel this sense of steadiness like every day. Regardless of your personality, the reality is because we live in a fallen world, that there are things that are just coming at you all the time, right? And we're, we're moving and we're ducking and we're taking hits. And it causes us to experience highs and lows And what James is really going to be drawing us into this morning is this idea of steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Well, here's a definition for you. It's when we don't forget God in the highs and we don't think God has forgotten us in the lows. That's just one definition of steadfastness. To be steadfast in your faith means that your default mindset in every unsteady situation and steady situation is to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord no matter the optics. No matter what it is that you're seeing that would make you and lead you to think and believe um, otherwise. Gosh, my dad was just this dude. I mean, well, of course he was. He was, he was a dad. Um, but he, we used to go on these vacations and they, they were, man... Mom, if you're watching, just forgive me for saying this. They were not fantastic vacations in the sense that, you know, they weren't these elaborate things. It was almost like the plan that we would always have is just to get in the van and, like, I don't know, see where it took us, right? So we spent a lot of time in the car driving. Um, and if you're a kid, you know, you, that's great. You know, you don't care. You just can't wait to get to that motel and, you know, jump in that pool. And um, But one of the things my dad always did was, He would like do this thing where we would be about, you know, we we would get close to the town and somehow he would time it so that the car hit empty. And he would start just going through this thing like, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to make it. And then he would have, I know you're going to, you can judge him, but he would have us start putting bets on whether we were going to make it to the town to get gas in time. Right. Um, He's a great guy. Right. Right. it seemed like we were going to run out of gas. What we didn't know is that um, he knew the van that we were driving, and he knew that when the needle hit the E, this thing that the van actually went into, it had this reserve tank that it went into. So we usually get about another hour of driving when it hit the E. We didn't know that um, because we were kids, and he knew that. We just couldn't see it. Of course, the trick only worked once because as soon as we found out that was the case, um, you know, we, uh, we didn't, you know, believe in all of his crazy shenanigans. You know, we just judged him for it after that. Um, but this is one of the things that, that God does to us in that he, he tests our faith. And the reason why he does that is because we can't see what he sees. And that's been a theme you know, all through James. He tests our faith. James chapter one, verse three, this would have been back in September, We, we went through this, but James says, for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. So we are not naturally steadfast creatures because we experience highs and lows and we're dodging things all the time and we're taking direct hits from things all the time that cause us to experience these highs and lows. So what James is gonna do right here in two verses, uh, chapter five, 10 and 11, he's gonna bring us back to the stories of the people from the Old Testament to encourage the churches that he is writing to to look to the word and to see the Lord's purpose and to remember that he's compassionate and merciful, something that all of us needs to, to become more acquainted with this morning. Look what it says in verse ten. You know, what, let me back up. Let me start with verse seven to kind of get us into James's theme here. He says, "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord." He says, "See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, till it receives the early and the late rains." You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, and do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then for our purposes today, verses 10, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So where James is leading us very uh, simply, very clearly, is the first thing we want to do when we are experiencing suffering and God is leading us into postures of patience is that we want to look to the word. We want to look to the word. How do you receive encouragement in discouraging times? That's the question. Whether you know it or not, you're asking that question all the time. How do you receive encouragement when everything is discouraging? James is saying you look to the word as an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophet, look to the prophets, open God's word. Look at these brothers and sisters who spoke in the name of the Lord, who were in places and in circumstances doing things that were going to put them in a place of sometimes danger and certainly always vulnerability. So he says, look to God's word. You read the stories of those who suffered with patience so that you remember that your calling to follow Jesus and be his disciple is just not unusual. So like everything that you're facing today, like none of it's unprecedented. None of it's unusual. When we look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we're reminded how people like Abel and Noah and Sarah And Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and David and Samuel. These are people who waited on the Lord through seasons of personal suffering. In fact, I'm going to turn if you want to. Just go back one book to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 just gives you this incredibly vast overview of the faith of some of these people that had to endure suffering so that they could have patience and steadfastness as a characteristic of their life. And so if you, if you read the whole chapter, which we're not going to do, um, but if you wanted to do that, you would find the way the writer of Hebrews just unpacks the lives of all of these saints who I just mentioned, um, who experienced that life. Right. Who experienced a life of faithfulness, not because it was easy, but it was something that was grown and cultivated in them because of how hard it was. And then look what he says when we get to verse 37, he um, he says, man, they they were they were talking about these men and women. They were they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In other words, this all happened before they got the visual of Jesus Christ like we have in our rearview mirror. And then he says, Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And then listen to what he says as we jump to chapter 12. He goes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these brothers and sisters in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see the, the focus, the resetting that the writer of Hebrews just takes us in right there in verse two. And then he says this in verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him. Why? Why do you need to consider that? Why do I need to consider that? He says it right here. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we have this great cloud of witnesses that give witness to the testimony of God, the faithfulness of God. And these witnesses encourage us to remain Steadfast, and even more so because we are on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection. We've seen the fruition. So when we say we say this a lot at substance church, we say your your suffering, your pain, your seasons of hardship—they're not meaningless because Christ suffered. So what, he, what what happened when Christ was suffering is he just wrung out the meaninglessness of suffering for us, and we get to see that that was only something that was in just. Thousands of years later for some of these brothers and sisters, we have the benefit of seeing how Christ made that come to fruition. Because we are on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection. Listen, none of you walk a path in your Christian life that doesn't already have footprints from the people who came before you. Right? What a comfort that is as we look to the word. Man, the last year, we talk a lot about the last year. Why? Because we're still in the last year. I don't know when the last year began and ends. I, I don't know. We're st- if we go back to May 2nd, we're still in the last year, right? But what's so interesting, one of the words that came up that almost became a joke when we talk about COVID is that it's unprecedented, right? The word unprecedented became so precedented that we were like, please don't say unprecedented anymore. right? We started getting irritable about that. But we think that COVID was unprecedented, but it's only unprecedented for us, right? Christians have endured pandemics, but 21st century Christians haven't until now, which is why it's so interesting that God allowed our faith to be tested in this way. I wonder how we'll look back on this tiny sliver of history that, by the way, has brought a lot of pain, has brought a lot of death, and has brought a lot of disunity in the church. Did we stir or were we steadfast? Well, there's probably a lot of both. Where did we look to find encouragement, patience, and steadfastness? If we believe Every moment in our lives is unprecedented. And then we'll forget the pain that God's people have endured before us and be encouraged to endure it like Jesus. James says, remember, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We, in other words, we consider those people who remain steadfast to have the favor and the eyes and the heart and the hands and the embrace of God around them. That's what they experienced as they were experiencing the pain that they experienced. So James is saying, look to the word by way of reminder so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Man, we will have trouble. We will have afflictions. We will see calamities. But more importantly, we will see a God who doesn't abandon us in the midst of them. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel chapter 3? It's these three dudes who are kind of working sort of like in, in you know, kind of upper government in, in the Babylonian Empire who had taken over um, the Israelites who were in exile to them. Remember what happens when they decide that they weren't going to worship the foreign gods and they, uh, they were locked up and they were uh, punished for not caving in to worshiping the foreign gods of, of Babylon. And what happened was, is that they were put into a fiery furnace uh, to be disintegrated. And what we see is this remarkable thing that happens is that as they enter this fiery furnace, not only do they, do they not just burn to death, but the king was able to look and see that there was somebody else with them in the midst of the fire they were saved because they were not alone in the midst of the fire and that is us that is a picture of us who find ourselves in the middle of the fires of our life and we shouldn't think for a minute that there's ever a moment that there's not somebody with us whose name is the Lord. Look to the word to remember the company of saints you're in who have already walked the path you're on. John 16, I've said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Not take heart because someday it's all going to end on this earth and you're never going to experience another tribulation or trial. No, 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 take heart because I have overcome the world so that you have the next world to look forward to when all of these things have been abolished, which gives you the hope and the life and the joy to continue to make it through this world, right? Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Like the Bible's not trying to trick you into thinking that you're living your best life now. Like some people try to deceive you with. You will have many afflictions, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 71, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. From the depths of the Earth, you will bring me up again. Where else are you going to get that kind of encouragement? James is saying, "Look to the Word. Look to the prophets. Look to the men of old who endured such suffering and remained steadfast." He also said, "See the Lord's purpose when you look down there at James 5:11. He brings up the example of Job to remind the church that God does nothing in vain. Here's what's happening when we're experiencing things in our life that are hard things. God wants to increase your optics. He wants to give you greater clarity of vision. My older sister, Kim, man, just from a very young age had just really, really bad eyesight. And I remember when she came home um, from the dock and she had that first pair of glasses uh, that, sh- that she got. And I, and I, remember, I remember some of the-, the phrases she used. was like, I feel like I'm seeing for the first time. I didn't know that that was that color. Her eyes were so bad. And now everything was becoming vivid for her again. She was seeing what the rest of us had been seeing. And that's what God does to us when he brings us through seasons of suffering. He allows us to see his purpose. He he gives us the example of Job to remind us that all of these things have a purpose behind them. God does nothing in vain. God allowed Satan to afflict Job to the degree that he suffered through just this unimaginable loss. He lost his sons, he lost his daughters, he lost the majority of his material wealth. Here's what's interesting about that: the Lord wasn't angry with Job. The Lord was pleased with Job's faithfulness, but he tested it for the sake of steadfastness. Job chapter 2, verse 3, listen to this, all right? And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. I feel like going, God, next time you have a convo with Satan, just leave me out of it. It's cool, whatever you think of me, like, let's just keep it quiet. Like, I'd be super into that, right? But you see what the Lord does? The Lord is saying, man, have you seen my boy Job? Have you seen his faithfulness? God allowed Satan to afflict him and test him. And Job came out a very different human being than he did before that moment. Job had no clue why the Lord was allowing what he was allowing in his life. But here's what we do know. Without Job's suffering, listen to this, we would only have seen the story of a man who basked in the warm glow of God's blessing but never deepened through God's burdens. Job was able to say in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you've ever sang that praise song, you probably didn't know that that line about naked in and out was like in that that phrase, right? Because we just sing it and it's all like happy. But that song really is rooted in This painful, this unimaginably painful moment in Job's life. These are the words that can only come after you've been wounded. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Now, a lot of us might stop right there. But Job says, no, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because why? Because because Job had a crystal ball. Because Job saw the future. Because Job said, "You know what, man? I can have some more kids. You know what? I can I can reclaim up my fortunes. You know, I I man, I can get back to physical health. I mean, what's the big deal? I'm invincible. You see the things I've done in my life? No, he didn't say that because of the circumstances or what he thought he could redesign and rearrange uh, in his own life with his own resources." He said that because he was focused on the God who is responsible for the means and the ends of all of those things. James is saying this is the place that we need to get to, where we see the Lord's purposes. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We will never fully understand the why of our pain. Man, and for some of us, that just drives us batty. We're, we're just bonkers because we don't understand the why of our pain. But we will never fully understand the why of our pain, but we don't want the why to obstruct the who. The who is more important than the why. Because the why can leave you mired in the bog of grumbling and impatience, but the who brings you back to the face of the Lord and a deepening trust in his purpose because he's a God whose character precedes him. Job understood that and Job complained and he grumbled and if you read the book of Job, man, this dude is just a mess and he had really horrible friends but he never curses the Lord right? What we don't understand we entrust to God because we know our understanding has limitations. Turn with me to First Peter. It's the next book. Man, I'm making this so easy for you today. Keeping it tight. First Peter 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. This is what it says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. I think we've read this verse a lot through the book of James. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in far as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So there is a level of rejoicing in our sufferings when we understand them to be in common with Christ that we wouldn't experience otherwise. And look at 14. He said, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Your child can give you a list of a hundred reasons why playing in a crowded street is a lovely idea. They can preach a 40 minute sermon to you on the benefits of playing with knives, scissors, and stovetops, right? They can write books. Filled with convincing arguments on why being disciplined is the worst idea of all time. The problem is that they don't understand the purpose behind your reasoning. They are momentary in their thinking, sorry kids, but you are. Don't worry, we are too. They don't have the mind to understand that they can't know what only you can know. They don't have the maturity to entrust themselves to you. This is what trials do for us. Trials reposition our trust. And that's why God allows us to experience them. That steadfastness of trust in the Lord comes in our trials When we look to God's word, when we see God's purposes the way Job did, and finally, when we remember that he is compassionate and merciful, like you see there in verse 11. So remaining steadfast allows us to see the volume of the Lord's compassion and mercy amplified in our life. And the noise of the world, by the way, is always trying to drown out the whisper of God's voice in our lives. Man, it's always threatening to drown that out. So I have these AirPods, right? And what do I do? Well, when I'm in a crowded space, I'm trying to work or read, I, I, I put them in and I turn them up when it's crowded around me to drown out the voices around me. But if I'm having a conversation with you, it would be weird to have my AirPods turned up. Why? Because I would be drowning out and crowding out your voice and the things that you're trying to say to me. It would make no sense to do that. I wouldn't understand the purpose of the words that you're trying to speak to me. All through scripture we see that God has a reputation for being compassionate and merciful. We see that this is the thing that God is. Is known for. It's like Tom Brady being known for his Super Bowl rings. That dude is just going to be known forever for being this just once-in-a-lifetime athlete. When you think Tom Brady, you're going to think Super Bowl rings a hundred years from now. But this is what happens to us. When the volume is up on our pain, the Lord's compassion and mercy soothes and softens the volume of our wounds. See, James understands what he's talking about when he says, hey, you need to look to the example of Scripture to see those who have endured suffering. You need to see that in suffering, the Lord has a particular purpose that may not be very visible because of the volume of the stuff that is surrounding you. So what does James do but pull us back to the heart of God? What does James do but pull us back to the intentions of Jesus Christ in our life who endured the suffering for us? What does he do but, but refocus us and reshift our attention? What does he do but reposition our trust through the trials that we experience? Psalm 103:13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. First Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I don't know where my labor is going. I can't see that in your lives. Man, I'm just called to preach the gospel, right? To minister, all I know is that that labor's not in vain. I don't know how God is laboring through that in your all hearts. I don't, I don't know. Every once in a while, I get, I get sort of a, a glimpse of it. But I have to trust that the labor that I'm doing is not in vain. Because why? Because God is actually doing the labor. Because God is the one actually doing the heavy lifting. I'm just a conduit. I'm nothing. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So the opposite of steadfastness then, given everything that we are reading and learning, is suspicion. It's suspicion of God's intentions toward you. And your decisions and your actions and your mindset will reflect that. James understands our humanness. He understands our tendency to look at our circumstances and lose perspective, to let the highs and lows be the thing that shapes our opinion of God's motives toward us. So what is he doing? He's moving us back to God's word. He's not moving us away from God. He's moving us closer to God where we see his purposes, which are to display his compassion and mercy, which, by the way, we can see with laser-like clarity only when we look to Jesus. That's who we see when we look to God's word and we see the fullness of his compassionate And merciful purposes. Jesus clears up some of our confusion. It's like he equalizes some of the difficult frequencies of our life that bring dissonance. So you got Nick Dotson. No, you got Sheldon Markle in the back. One of the things he does behind the soundboard is he has this thing called an equalizer on the board. And so as I'm speaking and as we're singing and as instruments are going through the, the sound system, there's all these weird frequencies, most of which need to be cut out so that you guys can experience clarity. So if you can actually hear all the words that I'm saying. You're welcome. You know, I mean, that's a whole different thing. But, but, but for us to be up here singing and communicating and preaching God's word, you need, you need to be able to actually hear that through the sound system that God has provided for us. An equalizer is what helps you hear that with clarity. And that's what God's word does in our lives through the work of Christ. We can remain steadfast because we consider things in God's word. We consider the hostility Jesus endured from sinners so that we could become sons and daughters who remain steadfast because living inside of us is the steadfastness of Jesus. You can endure because you have a supernatural endurance that comes from the very body of Christ who endured for you. Does that make sense? So some of you and are just standing in the middle of turbulent waters right now. You feel isolated, you feel alone James is saying, let the steadfast love of the Lord and the love that he has shown to all the people that have walked this path before you, let that anchor you. James is saying, let the compassion and mercy of Jesus hold you fast when the world is spinning around you at warp speed. James is reminding us of the most important thing that we could possibly remember as we exit the building here in a few minutes. And it's that Jesus walks with you. Jesus carries you. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. Jesus has not forgotten you. Jesus has not abandoned you. How do we know that? Because he has a track record of not doing it with everybody and everybody's story that we read about in this book. He will steady you so that you can remain steadfast. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just this gracious word from James. We're not very steadfast, but it's the steadfastness of Christ that anchors us So God, would you allow that to be a very real occurrence for us today? Lord, as we scatter, as we go back to our homes, to our places of influence, to our work, to our schools, Lord, I pray that we would remember, Lord, whatever place we find ourselves in, whatever hard season we're in right now, Lord, that these, in a very real way, aren't very unprecedented times. They may be unprecedented for us But Lord, when we look through scripture, we see all that your saints, all that the men and women who were faithful to you endured and how you held them fast, that the faith that you gave them is what helped them remain steadfast and faithful to you. So Lord, we're not looking to our own strength this morning, but we're looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, would you strengthen us this morning as a church in our faith because it's weak but you don't abandon people whose faith is weak. It's the object of our faith. It's us repositioning our trust in God and Lord, you are using trials in our lives to do that. So Lord, we thank you for that. Not because we enjoy suffering and trials and hardships, but because without them, we won't be able to rejoice in you and to see your compassion and mercy as clearly as we would have otherwise. So Lord, in all things, I pray that we would look to your word. We would see your purposes. We would remember the compassion and mercy of Jesus today. And Lord, we would encourage somebody else in that truth that is around us that may be hurting, that needs to hear that. So, Lord, break our hearts in that way and give us such great encouragement from these reminders this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.